I would encourage you to turn in your Bible. If you'd like to turn to a passage, go ahead and turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. But I want to begin with just a, a word of prayer. So, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. But let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for today, for the privilege of coming and, and singing these praises to you, uh, worshiping you in this way. We thank you, Lord, for that, that joy uh, that is ours. We pray that as we um, open up your word, that it would be beneficial to our lives as we know it can. We know that it has power. It has quickening power to regenerate, renew our minds. Lord, I, I thank you for that. What a, what a joy it is to handle this word, but what a sobering thing that it is as well. So may we, as it's unpacked, uh, for us, as we look at these things concerning faith, may we uh, learn and apply these things to our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in some ways, I want to pick, out, pick up where I left off last week. We've been going through the book of Genesis. And we stopped at the end, uh, at the, the last place we uh, were with Genesis chapter 13, 14. And um, we were... We stopped at uh, Abram's life. We were learning about Abraham. And I want to pick up on the same idea that I left off last week. Not in the same passage, but the same idea, the same concept. And that is the fact that Abraham was growing in his faith. Growing to the point that there was a confidence in his faith. He, had, he grew to the point that he could look out at the land. The Lord said, look out at the land. And, uh, uh, and, and he did. And he was able to say to Lot, Lot, you choose whichever land you would like, whichever direction you would go, because I know the Lord's going to take care of me. And, and so uh, he exercised faith, not only just a simple faith, but confidence, if you will, a confidence that um, God would take care of him and God is sovereign enough to take care of him. Now that's, that's a strong faith. That's a robust faith. And I think that's what's missing in our Christianity today. I, I really do. And I, and I think that it has not been given the place that it needs to be given in our hearts and in our minds. But also I think we have a superficial kind of Christianity that we have today. Abraham is, the, is a, a perfect example, a wonderful example, a biblical example of, of faith and growing in that kind of faith to where it's a, a confidence and a conviction. Now, that's what we see in, in Abraham's life. Um, but like I said, I think in our world today, we, we don't see the importance of faith. It, it's not elevated. At least in my mind, when I look at the landscape of Christianity today, the American Christian Christian world, I, I look at that and I, I then I compare that to Scripture and I begin to see we do not place enough emphasis on our individual faith. So here I am trying to use Abraham as an example of our faith and a life of faith, which we should have. 
And, and yet, in our minds, we're thinking, why is this so important? So I want to stop the book of Genesis, and I want to go to the New Testament and kind of flesh out a topic. I don't normally teach topical, but I want to focus our attention on this idea of faith. We have to grow in our understanding. We have to start to elevate faith in our own mind, in our own Christianity. Because when I look at Scripture, it is a much bigger deal. It's a much bigger priority than what we, than what I see today. The first verse that you see on the screen there. Now I've got a list of verses that we're going to be going through. So you can, you can just prepare to turn in your Bible or uh, we have as many as I could fit onto the screen. The first one is we see that without faith it is what? Impossible to please God. That should elevate faith right away. That means it is way up here. Without faith it is impossible to please God. Cannot even please God. In Romans chapter 14, Romans chapter 14 verse 23, another verse that reminds us, but he says this, uh, Paul says this, he says, But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he, his eating is not of faith, or, by, or from faith. Even in, in his eating, if he's eating against his own convictions, this meat that shouldn't be eaten in his own mind at least, he's going against his own convictions then he goes on to say, whatever is not of faith is sin. That's sobering. Faith is, is up here. It's important. And this is a life of faith. This is not a one-time act. This is a life of, of faith. First Peter chapter 1, verse 17. Uh, we're reminded of this. So that your, the proof of your faith being more precious than gold. Okay, if you see faith working out in your life, then that is gold. That is pay dirt right there. I mean, that is that is what you want. That's that's the the premium, if you will. That's elevating faith. Um, one other passage, and that's back in Hebrews chapter six, verse eighteen and nineteen. Give you this passage, um, Hebrews chapter. Six, he says, so the author of Hebrews says, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. So that's where our faith is in. The, the fact that it's impossible for God to lie. We who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold. That's this faith of the hope. That's this faith set before us. This hope we have as an anchor for our soul, an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which is which enters into within the veil. It's an anchor for. If we don't have this saving faith, then we're like a ship adrift without an anchor and just being tossed here and there. That's the idea. That's the idea. In fact, what we might say is, just to compare it with something tangible, is that faith is like the engine of a car. It's what drives the car. It's what motivates it. It moves that car forward, is that engine. The explosion power of that that firing engine that's 
moving that cart. That's what faith is. Now, you go to buy a car. Uh, one of the things you want to look for is, does it have an engine, right? It doesn't have an engine. Well, that's, a, that's silly. You can only use that car going downhill. Only if it has brakes. It's silly to look at a car, to buy a car without an engine. Let me tell you today, folks, but we have a Christianity, a counterfeit type of, of Christianity that is essentially faithless. No real power, no real engine under that car. I think the greatest distinction between cultural Christianity and biblical Christianity comes down to this one thing, and that's genuine faith. Now, I'm hoping that in your mind that faith is coming from down here to up here, that it's becoming to, you're becoming to, beginning to realize this is important, this is essential. Now, I've talked about counterfeit Christianity before. It's not a biblical Christianity. And the more I look at, at the culture around us, this, this quasi kind of Christian culture around us, and the more I look at Scripture, I see a disconnect. It's not, not really the same kind of Christianity. It's, a, it's not a biblical Christianity. It's a Christianity essentially that's just a, a, a belief system. That's, just, that's about all that it is. And it appeals to the intellectual crowd. And, and they, they, bring, they compare Christianity is, to Islam or to Catholicism or to, to Judaism. Kind of the world religions. And that's about as deep as it goes. And you might compare those world religions. But it's as though somebody's hijacked our Christianity and made it something that it's not. Made it something just a, a social thing. Taken the substance out. But when you look at scripture, Christ talks about being a Christian. He doesn't even use that terminology. He uses the term being born again. That's so much uh, different than just, oh, I became a Christian. No, he says, Christ said, you must be born again or you will not see the kingdom of heaven. That's more than a belief system. That's more than just appealing to the intellect. That's a whole new person. That's a whole new person. That's a radical change. That's a, a lifestyle change. That's a whole cultural kind of change. And it comes down to faith. Faith. This culture of Christianity has the same kind of language, same ideas, many, many times. But it's a pseudo-Christianity. It's a... a a Christian Christianity light, and it's not the Christianity that we see in Scripture. Christianity that you see in Scripture is genuine faith, conviction. Now, I want us to then take a look at biblical faith. What is biblical faith? It's important for us to get this right or we will just be led right into this shallow kind of Christianity that we see today. And that's not a, the only danger. We will be then fooling ourselves in, in playing church and this social kind of Christianity that we see ourselves. And what's at stake here is our eternal life. So we better get this right. We better be careful and go through lots of scriptures so that we can understand this. 
it's critical that we get it right. Now, here's a, I said this before, and we've been saying this for the past few weeks, and it's the, the constant thread that biblical faith is not a one-time act. You cannot just say, oh, I did that when I was three years old. I did that when I was ten years old. I, I put my faith in Jesus, and then I'm, I'm done. But what we see in Scripture is a, a lifestyle. It's a consistent lifestyle, practice, uh, on a daily basis from the life of a Christian. The question then is, how do we know? <laughs> how do we know that we have genuine saving faith? Now, I, I want to take some time, probably a few weeks, to go through this so that we can understand, so we can grasp this, so that we can see the distinctions in our culture around us, but not only that, evaluate our own self. And I want to go through this slowly. And I, today I just want to ask three questions. It's kind of in preparation for the next few week, weeks, but I want to ask three questions in, in um, our study of genuine faith. Number one, what makes biblical faith distinct? What makes biblical faith distinct? And I'll, let's look at some scriptures here. In Hebrews chapter 11, that's the faith chapter in scripture. Hebrews chapter 11, we see in verse 1, he gives us a definition of faith. You see it on the screen. Now, faith is the, the uh, assurance or substance, it could be either word there, of things hoped for or expected, the confidence of things not seen. So we don't we don't see it, but notice the word we have confidence in something that we can't see. We we have assurance. We have substance. There's there's something that's real there that we just know. It's conviction, even though we cannot see it. That's faith. That's faith. Now let's flesh it out a little bit more. So the one term you might you might use there is as confident. It's not it's not a wishful thinking kind of thing. Um, it's not it's a confidence in the word of of God. Now in a world where everything is relative, where there's really no absolute truth for us to say, well, I know or I have confidence, that automatically raises suspicion in people's mind. Oh, you can't really know those things. You, you can't really be sure. You can only wishfully think about those things because you can't see them. But there's a, there's a confidence in the Christian life. And there's assurance that we've hit substance. Now think about that. Let's move to the next passage. We know uh, that Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 tells us that it is a supernatural kind of faith. This is what distinguishes uh, the faith that we have from worldly faith. And that's Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that, that faith, or that even that whole package of salvation, that not of yourself. It is a gift from God. So this faith is distinct from the world because it's a gift from God. It's a supernatural kind of faith. It just makes us stand out. Now, it can be counterfeited. Satan, of course, wants to counterfeit it. But it's not a wishy-washy kind of faith. It is a, it is a, a, a gift from God. And the next passage, first, or Second Corinthians, or Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. 
verse 2 says, I'm sorry, verse 12 says this, For this reason I also suffer. So, so it's motivating uh, Paul to, to come to the place he's willing to suffer in his own life. But I am not ashamed. You can do it without even being ashamed. For I know. I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard that which I've entrusted to him until that day. That's confidence. That's confidence. That's assurance. That's a, that's a, to the point of conviction that drives Paul. And that's what faith is, folks. That sets our faith apart from any of the world's faith. It's a, I know. Now, it seems like a contradiction. I know whom I have believed. <laughs> I just, I just believe it. Oh, you mean wishful thinking? No, no, no. I know it. That's our faith. That distinguishes us from the world. Let me give you uh, another one. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. Romans chapter 10, verse 7. It takes me uh, longer to to turn to the passage than just look at the screen, doesn't it? Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How does that fit into our understanding of faith? It's a gift from God. So here's, here's the picture that we see in Scripture. So faith comes from hearing. The Holy Spirit um, accompanies the Word of God. It works in, in our life and produces a supernatural faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. That means the message of the Gospel. When you hear the Gospel, it's not just, it doesn't just lay flat. You hear it when the, the Gospel comes to us, especially as believers. It's accompanied by the Holy Spirit and He ignites within us. A response. A response. And it's a being born again. You have spiritual life now. It's as though the Holy Spirit is turning that key and turning on a, a whole new life. There's a whole new engine there. There's a, a, a new person in that. And it comes from this faith that's been given to us through the Word of God, through the Holy Spirit. That's the picture that we see. Let me give you one last one more verse, and that's in James chapter 2, and verse 14 says this. What use is it, brethren, if someone says he has faith but has no works, can that faith save him? The question is, and the answer is no. What we see here, if there's no works, there's no activity to that faith, then it's a dead faith. It's not a real faith. So what we see, we can conclude that faith is active. It's an active faith. It cannot just say, oh, I believe, I believe, and do nothing. It's an active faith. Now, I want you to see a, a wonderful example. In fact, this is what Christ would be. Christ should say probably, this is the epitome of, of faith. In Matthew chapter 8, there's a, a man who came to Christ at one point. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 5. Uh, Jesus enters into Capernaum. And then a centurion comes. Now this is real, a Roman guard. The last person you would expect to, to follow this, uh, this carpenter. 
But he apparently knows who Christ is, came to him. And uh, he implored him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully uh, tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will I will come and, and heal him. But the centurion said this, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. Probably recognizing he's a Gentile. Christ is a Jew. And he knows the, the distinction there. He says, but this, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I'm a man understands authority with soldiers uh, under me. And I say to this one, go. And he goes. And this one, come. And he comes. And I say, this, do this. And he does this. Now, when Jesus heard this, he marveled. He, he thought, wow, this is, this is pretty amazing. That, that would be, that would be shocking, wouldn't it be? How would you marvel Jesus? But listen, he, he says, to those whom were following him. So he turns to his disciples and he points. He says, truly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. This guy has faith. This guy gets it. He has confidence. Confidence. Look, Lord, I know, I understand your power. You don't even have to come to my house. Just say the word and it's done. I know that's faith. That's confidence. I don't see that in today's Christianity, folks. I don't see that. Abraham, we read in Romans chapter 4, verse 3, that his faith was reckoned to him for righteousness. Abraham stepped out. He left his home his country, his father's house, and all that he knew and left, stepped out in faith. It's an active faith. The picture in Scripture is an active, robust, day-to-day kind of faith. Trusting confidently in, in God. Now you see it, you can see it when it's practiced kind of on a, on a, a global scale and we can see, yes, he's acting on faith and we can see that. But it's really a matter of the heart, isn't it? It's a matter of the heart. And I, I want to point that out because it's an active faith. And an active, inactive faith can't save us. Um, faith is the, the driving of this cart. And if it doesn't work, then it's, it's, not going to, it's not going to serve us well. It's a dead kind of faith. On a social level, people might be able to see our external faith, but they can't see our heart. Now, I, I just make that distinction here because it's hard to distinguish in a counterfeit Christianity, in, in a world who pretends to be Christian or, or at least thinks they're Christian, it, it, it might be hard to tell. Now, let me give you an illustration of this. This week, uh, Queen Elizabeth passed away, Queen Elizabeth II. And uh, and she claimed Christianity, and I, I think that's wonderful. And when I look at her life, I, I see evidence there. I, I see uh, that she held to Christian values. She uh, even lived by Christian principles from the Word of God. She she had the wisdom of the Word of God. We see some of those things, but it comes down that that's the things we see. But what about the heart? Is it real, genuine faith? Now, now that's what I'm, I'm getting at. We have to, you could see the whole picture there. You, you see that life. 
But it, it comes down to the heart. The heart. Now, uh, I was heartened this week to see some pictures of taken uh, with her and Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was, in fact, her pastor for a little while. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he is up here in my book. He is a scholar. He knows the gospel. He knows the scriptures so well. Very articulate. He was the pastor of that church, and she would attend that church. And I saw pictures of, of them together. So I know she knows the truth. If she was with that man, she knows the truth. I know she was with Billy Graham as well. So she knows the truth as she applied it. We see the evidence of her life. We see that and we hope to the Lord that, that yes, that's what she's done. But we, we can't know. All we can do in our own life is drill down and say, do I have, do I have genuine faith? Do I have genuine faith? That's, that's what we have to do. And as Daniel's Bible church, we drill down. And we say, what does the Bible say about faith? Now, let's move on. Because I want to, I want to apply this a little bit. What we see here is a, uh, a supernatural faith, a strong, robust faith that's built upon the Word of God. Number two, here's the second question. Does the Bible warn of a man-centered faith? Does the Bible warn of a man-centered faith? And, and you know the answer to that question. James chapter 2, the passage that uh, we started with uh, earlier, James chapter 2, verse 17 says this, even so, faith, if it is, it has no works, is dead, being by itself. No works. Faith and works have to go to, together. Two sides of the same coin, two different sides of the same coin, faith and works. It, it, that, that faith has to be seen. It has to be active. Verse 18 But someone may say, well, you have faith, your, your Christianity has faith, and, and I have works. And he says this, show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. You cannot separate them. You cannot separate them. That faith has to be active. There has to be works. There has to be fruit from that. And then he goes on, and this is the scary part for us. You believe that God is one? You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. The demons believe. There's a certain amount of faith that the demons have. Are they saved? No, not at all. Not at all. And that's, that's his point there. We have to have faith that will save, that will serve us well. What's he talking about here? He's talking about a dead faith. And there's a warning here. It's a dead faith. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5. Another passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. <clears throat> Paul, he is telling the Corinthians here, he's warning them. He says, I determined to know nothing uh, among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. In verse 4, I'm, I'm sorry, skip down to verse 5. So that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of man, but on, on the power of God. The power of God is that, that change agent of the Holy Spirit taking the Word of God, changing that heart. But if, you're, if your faith is resting upon man, man's intelligence, man's cleverness, man's uh, ability or his charisma or, or any of those things, you've got a wrong faith. The object of your faith is wrong. 
Romans chapter 2. Again, that's a warning. Romans chapter, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 10, verse 2, says, talks about Israel. In verse 1, he talks about their, their faith, but he says, But for I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. There's, there's an appearance of faith. And he's warning here, don't be like Israel. There's a, an appearance of faith, but, but it's not according to knowledge. There's no substance there. There's no confidence there. There's, they're, just, they're just active. So we have to be careful about that. And of course, then, let me read this one more passage here. 2 Timothy chapter, chapter 3. And again, a passage you would know well. Verses, starting verse 1. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Paul's talking about in our day, even. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And you think, that is terrible. Then he says this, holding to a form of godliness. Folks, that describes our day. It's a form of, it's a, it's a moralism, it's a good external appearance, but behind it you have all of these sin. There's a warning here. It's a form of godliness, he says, that denies the power, and he's, then he says, avoid such men as these. Avoid them. Their faith is not real. It's a dead faith. It's just an, an appearance. An appearance. And we see in Hebrews chapter 6, we see uh, the author of Hebrews talks about those who fall away because they don't have faith. In 1 John chapter 2 verse 19, they left because they were not of us. They didn't have the same faith as us. In, in uh, Matthew chapter 1 verse 27, the Lord Christ said, some will stand before me in that day. He's saying, Lord, Lord, we did this and we did that. And he says, I'm going to say, depart from me. And it comes down to, they didn't put their faith in Christ. He, he never knew them. Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the sower. You see a faith that falls away. There's a warning in Scripture about a man-made, a man-centered, superficial faith. And it's a warning. And that's what we see in this Christian culture that we have today. J.C. Ryle says it like this. He says, the union with Christ, which produces no effort on, uh, I'm sorry, effect on heart and life, is merely formal union. They're just coming to church. They just have this superficial connection to Christ. It's not a, it's not, he goes on to say, which is worthless before God. That will not save you. The faith which has not a sanctifying influence on the character is no better than a faith of devils. Wow. It is a dead faith because it is alone. It is not a gift from God. It is not the faith of God's elect. Is our faith important? Absolutely. That's what connects us with God. We better get this, better get this right. It would be like, let me just try to 
give you a, a comparison here or maybe a little illustration. I have a small old truck. If I take a four-cylinder uh, engine and put it in an 18-wheeler or a big coal truck and put it at the bottom of Sandstone Mountain and expect that four-cylinder engine to make it up to the top five miles straight uphill. You guys know Sandstone. Is it going to happen? Not a chance. Not a chance in this world. If you take a man-centered, superficial kind of faith and put it into someone and expect that to get them to heaven, is it going to work? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's superficial. It just cannot do it. We do not have the capacity for it. It has to be a a God-changing element in our life. It cannot be a man-centered faith. So, do we see warnings in Scripture? Absolutely. Warning after warning. So, what do we do about that? What do we do about that? Let me ask one, one last question here. How can we tell if we have the right faith? How can we tell if we have the right faith? This is the passage that I... I want to wanted to end with because it's such a, a crucial passage for us, and this is what we're going to spend some time on. In Second Corinthians chapter thirteen, Paul says this: "Test yourself." In fact, it says, "Yourself test." That's the way it's it's arranged. Yourself test to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourself. Actually, it's reversed. Self examine. And the emphasis is upon you. You need to do this. Look at yourself. Test yourself to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourself. Or do you not recognize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you? So when you're examining yourself, you're looking at yourself, do you see Christ reflecting back at you? When you look at your life, do you, do you see, oh yeah, I see the life of Christ laid out there. I see, I see those things. He says, Unless, indeed, you fail the test. You examine yourself, you look at yourself, and you, if you don't see Christ there, then you're, you fail the test. Christ is the standard. Christ is the standard here. And this is sobering. Sobering stuff. Just put it in the context for you a little bit. Paul um, is addressing this church. This church is kind of going rogue just kind of doing their own thing. Paul's having to correct a lot of things. Inside the church, there is uh, some opposition to Paul. There are people who are raising questions about Paul's ministry, his, his uh, apostleship. And so Paul has to defend his ministry, has to depend, defend his apostleship, uh, his, his credentials. And, and he feels foolish at times, and he will even say that. This is a, a foolish thing that he's doing, but it's a necessary thing. Because what's at stake here is they're, they're undermining the gospel that Paul is preaching. The very gospel that Paul is preaching. And so what he's doing with this, at, at, toward the end of this book, or the, yeah, the end of this, uh, this uh, letter, he's turning it back on them. He says, test yourself. See if yourself is in the faith. You see, if you are holding to the true gospel, so he's putting it back on them, and that's a sobering thing. Let me show you a couple of other passages here. If we go back to um, the passage that was read for us by Clifton, another sobering passage in First Thessalonians, First Corinthians, chapter eleven. But a man must examine himself. 
And in so doing, he is to eat the bread. This is before communion. Before we take communion, and we, we try to push this here. Take communion. You, you examine yourself. For he who eats and drinks, uh, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge his body rightly. You do not examine yourself correctly. Then, then what's at stake? Damnation. For this reason, many among you are, are weak and sick and a number of you sleep. But if you judge yourself or ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. That's by God. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord. So if we, we the Lord is, is judging us, he, he sees things, he corrects those things in our life, he judges those things in our life, so that we are not condemned along with the world. That's what's at stake. Folks, we have to look inside. We have to look at our, our self. It, it says self-examination on this uh, uh, Second Corinthians 3, 13 passage. Examine self. It's not, a, it's not a morbid introspection. We just look at our life and line it up with the Word of God. Christ, of, of course, being the, the perfect example. And, and in Romans chapter 14 and James chapter 2 and 4, we see we're, we're warned about judging other people. We have to be very careful about judging other people because it's a heart issue. Now, we can, we can look at the, the fruit in their life. So we have to be very careful. Every once in a while, the check engine light on our cars will come on. Not every day, not all the time, it doesn't stay on. So we, we take it to the mechanic and he'll check it out. The seals, the gaskets, the spark plugs. Look at that engine. Examine that engine and correct those things. That's the idea. As Christians, we have to do that. And I'm calling us to do that. The next several weeks, I'm going to lay out for us. I, I think there's 11. <laughs> 11. It's going to take us several weeks. 11 examination questions, if you will, to ask ourselves. Now, I, I give this message first because I want you to see the importance of what we're doing here. We need to understand what salvation is. That's kind of the big picture. But we need to also understand are we saved? Or are we playing Are we playing a game? Is there true faith clearly spelled out in Scripture? Yes. Is there clear faith that's warned... Or I'm sorry, is there a, a superficial faith that's warned about in Scripture? Yes. And we're called to examine ourselves with the Word of God. We take the Word of God and we examine ourselves. Biblical faith is not a one-time thing. Folks, it is a lifestyle. Are we living by faith? Do we have a robust faith? What kind of faith do you have? Let me ask you this. Do you understand? Do you know the gospel? Has God changed your life? Has the Holy Spirit taken the word of God, applying it to the heart of God's people and turned that key? Do you have a new life in Christ? That's what we're wanting. That makes us distinct from the world. Let me close by reading the verses that we read to this song earlier. It says, I know not, I know not why God's wondrous grace to me He made known. I don't know why He, he was gracious to me and not other people. Nor why unworthy Christ in love redeemed me for His own. I'm unworthy. I don't know why He redeemed me. 
He goes on to say in the second verse, I know not how, how his saving faith to me he, he imparted, nor how believing in his word wrought peace within my heart. I don't quite understand. It's, it's, it's too hard for me to understand. But, the songwriter says, and he quotes from Paul, Romans chapter 8, I know whom I have believed. I know whom I have believed. And am that, uh, and I'm persuaded, persuaded, confident that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him until that day. It's a wonderful song. A wonderful song. Do we have that kind of faith? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we, we thank you for the examples in scripture, the examples in history of men and women with strong faith. Lord, help us to not be swept away by this cultural Christianity with some weak faith, that just some kind of super, superficial faith that it just appeals to the intellect, just a belief system, doctrines of demons. Lord, help us to be changed by the Holy Spirit, causing us to be born again, a supernatural faith that distinguishes us from the world. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.